And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. She is the author of the book, Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. Jennifer, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. This sounds like a very good book, and um, we found out about you through a mutual friend, and that is Pastor Bill Shishko. He says, you've got to interview Jennifer, <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is such a, an important subject, and yet it's, um, it's a hard subject to discuss, and I don't even know where to start, so I'm going to just turn it over to you. Can you, um, <laughs> maybe at a high level... Briefly describe your situation and what you faced growing up. Absolutely. Well, um, I was born into a, uh, a Christian home, or at least a supposedly Christian home. Uh, we went to church every Sunday, you know, and sometimes Sunday night or Wednesday night, and we read the Bible daily and we prayed and we homeschooled. And, you know, I think by all outward appearances, we were a good conservative Christian family. But of course, you know, when we went home from church, when we went home from Bible study or whatever, um, there was a much different dynamic. So, you know, I would go to church and I'd hear about God's love and, and mercy and grace. And then I'd come home and there would be no mercy and, and no grace and shame and fear. And so the contrast was very stark. And ironically, because of that, I, I loved going to church. And so I grew up in this situation. And um, so I, I'm, I'm a survivor of 21 years of domestic violence and sexual abuse and psychological abuse, um, mostly at the hands of my church-going father. Um, and so that really shaped um, how I grew up, how I, how I thought, how I perceived myself, and also how I perceived God. But despite everything that I was going through, God was very faithful. He kept my faith alive. He maintained my hope. And I really, truly believe that he restrained my dad's wickedness um, to a large degree. And so I survived all of this, um, and then I, you know, I ended up, by God's grace, uh, miraculously, I uh, married a godly man, and of course, once, once I moved in with him, once we were married, I realized, to a new degree, how messed up my childhood had been, because I was so used to living with a man who was angry and violent and perverse and unforgiving. And suddenly I was living with my husband who was, who cared about me and who wanted to know what I thought and who wanted to pray with me. And, and so the, the contrast again was very uh, jarring. And I started to put names like domestic violence and sexual assault and uh, child abuse to experiences in my past. And I started to understand to a new degree how severely evil my dad had been. And around that time during our early marriage, it was about two or three years in, I think, 
Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD, and we've just slowly been working through that and coming to a place where I am today where I can talk about these things and obviously write about these things in the hope that I can help other people uh, draw closer to God um, despite the pain that they've been through. Yeah, the um, sense I'm getting is um, one of sincerity and honesty. And um, one of the questions I wrote to myself that I wanted to ask you, but I'll ask it early on, and that is, why didn't you reject the Christian faith? And you've kind of already answered that Mm -hmm. because of the faithfulness of God. But um, I think it showed that your faith was genuine, that Christ truly had saved you. Um, But isn't it the case that some people, they come out from a mess like this, and it is a mess, Yeah. um, and they they reject the love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's the, um, in my book, I call it a concussion of the heart. Mm. Um, When you are coming out of abuse, there is just this sense of disorientation, you know, and you really do, you cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, I think that the fact that I held on to my faith, I'm just going to be really honest, it's a miracle. It's not something that I did. My faith is not an emotion that I mustered or, or something that I somehow generated on my own. It was very much supplied to me. Hmm. Um, and so that's really the, the only reason um, that I was able to stay a Christian. And, you know, I did struggle with it. There was probably a whole year when I would have so much anxiety before going to church that I would, I would physically become sick or I'd throw up before mm. church because I was so nervous and so fearful that I, was, um, that I was sitting in pews next to people who maybe were false Christians like my dad or who maybe couldn't understand what I was going through or were talking about me or, or you know, just, just maybe were judging me and wondering what I did to cause all these things. You know, there's, there's so many um, negative ways that people react to, to victims and survivors, and I experienced a lot of that. And unfortunately, and I think part of this is just because I was in the church, a lot of that happened in the church. Mm. So um, there is absolutely um, a huge amount of pain um, and disconnect and a sense that you have been abandoned you know, or forsaken by God, which is why my book is called Not Forsaken. Um, it's kind of this um, trying to wrap our heads around this idea that, yes, we can go through profound suffering, yet God still loves us. Mm. And, you know, I have tremendous faith that, that if God has saved someone early on, whether that be when they were a very young child or as an adult, and they've gone through abuse and they've wandered away from the faith, they've rejected God, I have faith that God is faithful and he will seek out his wandering lambs. Yes. No matter no matter why they've wandered, you know, maybe they were scattered like um uh, the Bible talks about the wolves scattering the lambs. Sometimes that happens. But but we have a faithful shepherd who will go and seek out those those sheep. Mm. Amen. Um 
Yeah, this is a, a very hard story, but it's also a heartwarming one because Christ has been faithful to you. Like you said, um, He. Th- this is really a miracle, and uh, this is not a mere emotion. I mean, Christ has has done this work in keeping you for himself. Um, I would, can I use this word? I would hate the guy that did this to my friend, <laughs> my friend or daughter or future wife or whatever. Um, I, I would hate him. And yet yeah. somehow I'm thinking part of your story um, has to do with forgiveness um, to a guy that he is evil. Um, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. But um, did you go through having to forgive? Yes and no. So <laughs> one thing. <laughs> there's actually a both answer. <laughs> yes. So one thing I've learned is that forgiveness is a process. It takes a lot of time, and something very wise. I think it was. Um, my husband told me at one point, he said, Jennifer, look, you were abused for 21 years. It might take you 21 years to forgive your dad. And that's okay. It's okay. You know, God's not holding a stopwatch on your, um, on your forgiveness. He's not holding a stopwatch on your recovery. He's, he's, his spirit is in your heart. He's working recovery in you. You know, that's an aspect of sanctification, just as the Spirit, um, you know, works good works in us and works our sins out of our hearts. He also heals us from the damage of other people's sin, and it's a process. So I came to a place in my life where I realized that um, even though my dad was not repentant, and even though he wasn't safe for me to be around— Um, let alone safe for me to let my children around, I needed to get to a place where I didn't feel angry anymore Hmm. because it was affecting my my life. It was inhibiting my ability to feel joy, um, you know, and to, to live in a place where I was, I felt like an emotionally stable mom and wife. And so, you know, I, I dwelt on verses like, you know, the one in Proverbs where it says God is angry with the wicked every day. Right. And I asked God, I said, you know what, God, Jesus, you carried my sins to the cross. You did that to take this anger from me and carry it for me and be angry for me and, and be just and be holy and just take this pain away from me so that I don't feel this weight anymore. And he really did. I mean, it's just, again, it's not an act that I um, achieved on my own. It's not a feeling of peace or love that I somehow just pulled myself up by the bootstraps and decided I was going to be this miraculously super loving person. I had to rely on God to to relieve me of that anger, which honestly was largely righteous anger. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. That's been my, my experience with forgiveness. And, you know, again, it's complicated and, and messy. And, but it, I think the most important thing I can tell, tell you is that it's something you can't rush. It's something that the Spirit's going to work in your heart over time. Um, I learned the hard way that when I rushed to forgive, 
uh, my abuser would actually take advantage of that and mm-hmm. he'd use it to um, to get access to me or to you know work his way back into my life and so that was actually very dangerous so um, yeah. I had to reach a certain point in my recovery where I could look at him objectively and say no he's not repentant but I'm not going to let him back in you no, know what I mean that's right so, absolutely yeah. um, I'm struck by another aspect of this, um, besides the the personal forgiveness and, and the process of it all. Um, here's a man that, on the outward appearance, appears to be a Christian. He goes to church, um, probably is reading Christian books. Uh, your family is yep. homeschooling, and I love homeschooling, by the way. But um, yeah. <laughs> this this guy... This guy is a bad dude, and probably, I'm just guessing, probably the church people didn't realize. No. In fact, one thing that I learned was that, you know, the friends of an abuser, um, whether that be their their pastor, um, other people at church, their coworkers, they really kind of become secondary victims. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that was really difficult for me, and actually one of the reasons why it was hard to go back to church was because there were so many people there that were traumatized by what had happened. They mm. were shocked. They felt um, they felt responsible for not seeing red flags. They felt lied to and betrayed. And um, and I just, you know, at that point, at least in my life, I was not equipped to deal with that. I was dealing with my own PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, and so I ended up actually leaving that church that we'd been at, even after, they, um, even after they put my dad under church discipline and my dad left. Um, I ended up going to, uh, you know, kind of a big mega church for a few Sundays where I could just kind of blend into the crowd and sing happy songs. <laughs> and, and, then I, <laughs> and then I found a PCA church that was kind of like not too big, but not too little, and um, again, I could just kind of, you know, disappear in the crowd if I wanted to, or I could, you know, sing happy songs. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I came back to the church. Yeah. And um, what I love about this interview is that we can hear your little kids once in a while in the background <laughs> saying "Mama," because this is this is the real this is the real world. And and also oh, yeah. also our worship <laughs> services, which I right now we miss because because of the lockdown and all of that. Um, we love to have children in the congregation, and even though they're a little noisy at time, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, these are the sounds of the kingdom. I think one pastor explained to me, and I, I just love that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I love it too. Today we're talking with Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. She's written a very important book. Its title is Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. I wonder, too, how do you deal with people where once you trust them with the account, once you trust them with the story, um, they just can't believe it. They might think, oh, she's just she's just making this stuff up. Does that ever happen? Oh, yes. Yeah, I actually um, had one guy who uh, was a friend of my dad, 
um, and a lawyer, I might add, uh, try to convince me that I hadn't really been abused. Oh. He tried, yeah, he tried to tell me, unless your dad punched you with a closed fist, it was legal. Mm. And, you know, at the time that he told me this, I was, you know, struggling with severe anxiety and panic attacks and nightmares and depression. And um, so I trusted him, even knowing that he was a friend of my dad. I figured, well, this guy's a lawyer. He must know, right? And um, unfortunately, because of that, I didn't report for uh, several years, and the statute of limitations ended up running out on mm. some of my dad's crimes. And so that was, that was incredibly traumatic. Um, yeah. I've also had a few people, uh, well, initially, when I first told my story, one of the um, men at our church who knew my dad um, seemed to think that, you know, and he never said this outright, but, you know, you can just kind of tell when people don't believe you. That's right. Um, he, I think he felt that, you know, I was delusional or, or lying or something. He thought something was wrong. And, um, and so, you know, it took my, you know, my mom and, and other siblings coming out and saying, no, these, these things actually happened before he could believe me. And once he believed me, then, you know, everything was much better. And he, you know, he, he helped us and gave us advice and he was encouraging, but, but it was, it was, you know, there was a time when it was like, well, you know, until I hear, you know, your dad's side of the story or until I can verify this by evidence or something like that, you know, how am I supposed to trust you? And, um, and so that was very, uh, what's the word? Kind of disorienting. Mm, Yeah, I can imagine. Um, there's another aspect here, and and you're you're getting close to touching upon it, and that is um, advice for elders in the church. Um, should something like this happen, and the word starts to come that, hey, we've got an abuser in our congregation, is there anything yeah. that that you would have to say today to elders in the church how better to handle something like this? I would say absolutely involve law enforcement as soon as possible. Um, even if you're not talking about uh, child sexual abuse, a lot of times, a lot of times pastors there or elders are mandatory reporters. But sometimes it's only if there's sexual abuse. Um, that's actually, I mean, that's good. You should absolutely report sexual abuse. But for example, when I was a teenager, I tried to confide in a pastor, and I told him that my dad had thrown an iron at my head and that I had ducked just in time mm. and that it had hit the wall behind me and dented the wall. And um, he didn't report it to the police. And looking back, um, my dad would regularly threaten to shoot me. He, would, um, he told me this story a couple times throughout my childhood, where he'd, he'd come home from work or he'd, we'd be sitting around the dinner table and he'd say, hey, did you hear that story on the news today? Um, this guy was, you know, he, he came home and he found his wife and his kids uh, packing to leave and so he got his gun and he shot them all dead. Mm. And then he shot himself, shot himself. And then my dad would look at me square in the eye and he'd say, you better never leave me. Oh my. And so that, yeah, that terrified me. And so when my dad threw that iron at my head, from my perspective, that was absolutely an attempt to 
kill me, if not seriously injure me. Absolutely. And, yeah, so when you hear stories of someone um, being violent, I would still, even if it's not legally a mandatory reporter situation, still involve law enforcement, you could save a child's life. Yeah. And you do not you do not want them to get hurt again or or God forbid get killed. That's right. It's just a worst case scenario, but it happens. It really does. Yeah. Today we're talking with Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. Uh, she's written the book Not Forsaken, a story of life after abuse, and she was abused by her church going father, and yet she's still a Christian. We're talking with her today here on the phone. Uh, Jennifer, if someone would like to know more and maybe order your book, oh, you know what I almost forgot? It's this. Um, in all likelihood, there's listeners that that are going through something similar. Yeah. And they're going to be inclined to say, i got to talk with Jennifer. Well, be very mm-hmm. careful about that. And I haven't asked you about this in advance, Jennifer, but... I'm sure you get flooded with requests, and you're a mommy, you're a wife, and (laughs) there's just so much time you have. My recommendation, dear listener, is if you want to learn more and you need help, get her book and read her book and find someone trusted in your congregation, really trusted, uh, who's a proven Christian that you can partner with and talk with and trust but anyway, back to you, Jennifer. If someone wants to get a copy of your book, how can they go about doing mm-hmm. that? Um, it is on Amazon or my publisher's website, thegoodbook.com, uh, Christian Books, um, Kindle, pretty much anywhere you love to buy books, it's there. Well, that's wonderful. Um, you've got two minutes remaining. Uh, any advice that you might want to give someone who's going through something similar that you haven't already mentioned, or if you want to reiterate, advice for those that are in a similar mess? Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Um, Yes, I would just say that, you know, I want to encourage you that what you're going through, if you're being abused, what you're going through is not your fault. You didn't cause this. Um, You don't deserve this. And God loves you, and Mm. he doesn't want his child being treated like this. So one way to honor God is by getting help, by protecting yourself, because our Father in Heaven doesn't want his children to be abused. He doesn't want you to do that, and he doesn't, you know, even in the case that your abuser is a Christian who's just dealing with some terrible, terrible sin problems, God wants your abuser to repent and he wants your abuser to change. And sometimes the kindest, most loving thing we can do for someone is force them to face their sin and hold them accountable so that they can repent and they can change and they can be drawn toward Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage you to do that. And, you know, yes, absolutely. Network with someone in your church. Partner with someone you trust whether that be a counselor, a friend, a pastor, um, partner with someone. And also, you know, if you do want to drop me a line, my website is jennifergreenberg.net. That's Greenberg with an E, jennifergreenberg.net. And I would be honored to pray for you. Mm, Very good. That's helpful. jennifergreenberg.net. 
Okay, and um, again, this this book, highly recommended, Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. And uh, again, the name is Jennifer Michelle Greenberg. Um, Jennifer, thank you very much for taking your time today and meeting with our listeners. And um, how's your family doing? How's how's your? I heard that little girl thank or boy you, in, in the background. Are they well? <laughs> That's my four-year-old. She is struggling to put a dress on a dolly. <laughs> and yes. And so I once we uh, once we hang up here, I am going to go and help her do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good, uh, Jennifer. God bless you, and thank you. you too. Thank you for writing this book, and thank you for talking with our listeners. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.